Aloha and welcome to another episode of the English 2.0 Podcast, the only podcast for ambitious English students who want to become fluent English speakers, global communicators, and real-world English 2.0 performers. My name is Al, professional English coach and fluency expert, and I am here today to bring you another episode of the English 2.0 Podcast. Today we're going to get into another episode of Audio Blog. This will be number 21. The 21st edition of the audio blog. And again, the audio blog is where I bring you in audio form blog posts that I've written from before that you may have missed. And so those of you who listen only and don't read or haven't read, those get a chance to hear those same ideas. Now, today we have a very interesting topic, and this is an older post or actually a series of posts that I wrote but I think they are still relevant today, and you can still get a lot out of them. Now, the title may be a little bit direct, but I want you to bear with me. Hang with me, because I'm going to explain everything. And that is, why aren't Japanese people good at English? Hmm. All right, so I originally wrote a five-part series basically giving five different reasons. Now, before we get into it, please make sure you're subscribed to the English 2.0 podcast or following. And also, before I take it down, please get your 25 hot idioms for 2021. So we're now in the new year, so I don't know how much longer I will keep that up. But get it while you can at alsensei.com forward slash idioms. alsensei.com forward slash idioms for your free PDF, 25 hot idioms. And there's still Good, you know, they rarely do these phrases kind of die and go away, but most of them should be pretty universal and that you can use them for a long time. But go and get them before I take down the list. All right, so let's get to our audio blog today. So again, why aren't Japanese people good at English? Now, before I get into this, let me first say, this is not a post that I just, you know, thought up one day for for fun. Okay, this is something that my students asked me when I was teaching in Japan. Okay, so they asked me this question. So I'm just answering their question, if that makes sense. Okay. So again, this was originally a five-part series. I'm going to put it all into one here today because they're pretty short. And you know, even if you're not Japanese, please listen because you may find similarities between your culture, uh, and the Japanese in some aspects. And definitely in some aspects will not be similar, and that's fine. But you can still get, you know, you find out and think about how this relates to your case, in your English, because it does relate, I believe, to everyone in some way. Okay? And at least it'll provide some things to think about as you move forward. But yeah, I'm not just going to explain what's bad. Of course, we're going to talk about how to overcome these challenges and be successful because that's what the English 2.0 podcast is all about. And I'll put a link to the original posts in the show notes. I do eventually want to put them all together into one major big post, which maybe I'll do at some point <laughs> in the near future. But let's go through it today. The first part of this series, the first part of this we'll call it blog, series of blog posts, is to attempt to answer the question that so many students ask me. 
Why aren't Japanese people good at English? Okay, so again, let me say that again. This is not my opinion or not my judgment. This is a question that my students continually ask me. Well, it's time that I answer this question once and for all, and I've divided it into five main reasons. So we'll start today with the first one, which is shy personality. All right. So most students tend to name shyness as one of the main reasons why Japanese are not good at English or are afraid to speak out. I would have to agree. It is impossible to improve your English speaking skills without speaking. It is also impossible for me to improve my golf skills without swinging a golf club and hitting some golf balls. Where does this shyness come from? Perhaps it is just a natural characteristic as a result of growing up in Japanese society. Or maybe it's the fear of making grammatical mistakes. Whatever the reason is, anyone can overcome this shyness with the proper mindset and surroundings. Again, we'll talk about this later, how to overcome. Okay, that's the first part. So what do you think? Do you agree? Do you think shyness is holding you back as one of the things that's preventing you from improving your English or reaching your goals? I know in some cultures, it's definitely not one of the reasons because other cultures are tend not to be as shy. But let's move on to the second reason. The second reason is something that I call physical challenges. So... What do we mean by physical challenges? Well, basically I'm talking about the physical movements your mouth and tongue need to make in order to produce English sounds and words. So what's the difference between Japanese and other languages? Well, we can measure this difference by counting the number of phonemes, the most basic sounds that form pronunciation, in each language. Okay, so again, let me stop here and rephrase that. So phonemes is just kind of a, you know, a linguistic term that ma- that means the most basic sounds, most basic pronunciation sounds that the mouth can make. And of course, different languages use different sounds. Now, according to an article by language master Tim Ferriss, the number of phonemes in Japanese is 112. The num- again, the number of sounds, not we're not talking about the written alphabet here. We're talking about the number of sounds that the mouth needs to make. In Japanese language, it is 112. However, in English, it is over 10,000. Okay, 10,000 sounds. So just think about that. If you're going from a language with very few phonemes, very few sounds, and then going to a language with thousands. And again, this is the sounds, not the written language. So what does this mean? Well, it means that the average Japanese speaker's mouth has been formatted with only 112 sounds when many more are needed for English. In other words, to speak English well requires a reformat of the mouth and tongue muscles. Again, that's my way of putting it. All right. So how can we overcome this? Again, we'll talk about it at the end. But what do you think? Do you agree with that? Or how do you feel about that? And If you are not Japanese, how about your language? Does your language have maybe more phonemes than English or maybe just, you know, different sounds that the mouth needs to make? How is pronunciation for you for English? Now, the third reason that, in my opinion, Japanese aren't 
as good as in, in English as perhaps other people from other cultures is, and this one is specifically for Japanese, and that is the existence of katakana. Now, for those who are not familiar with Japanese, katakana is basically a written alphabet in Japanese using the original sounds of Japanese, but they form foreign words. Okay, They're, In other words, this is a written alphabet in Japanese specifically used for borrowed words or foreign words. Now, a lot of them are American, but not all of them. Sorry, a lot of them are English, <laughs> uh, from American English, but not all of them. Okay, so what is so bad about katakana? Again, there's now there's five reasons why katakana is bad for you. Okay? So they are pronunciation, meaning change. They're not from English. They're outdated. And sometimes they are originally Japanese words. Now, I wrote a separate article um, giving examples of these. So I'll do a couple of these. I won't do all of them. But, you know, so, for example, one of one of the terrible things about katakana is the pronunciation change. Okay, so, you know, we have a word in English, for example, well, let me, let me do the Japanese word. So the katakana word would be arerugi, which in English is allergy. So completely different sound in English. Or even a simple word like doru, which means dollar in English. Okay, so these are completely different pronunciations. Often there's a meaning change. Okay, so in other words, the they've taken an English word, but the the meaning has the nuance has changed a little bit. So for example, a word like gorgeousu, so taken from the word gorgeous. Well, you know, in English, gorgeous simply means, you know, very beautiful. However, in Japanese, the word gorgeousu also of course, it's beautiful, but it includes kind of a monetary aspect as well. So it must be very rich or very valuable in cost. Okay, so the meaning is a little different. Um, sometimes the words are not from English. Okay? So one example would be pension, which is, I believe, from French, or arubaito, which is from German. Okay, so these you know, most students of mine understand that these words are not English, but some people don't know, and there are a lot of other words that are not clear if they are from English or not. Um, sometimes they're outdated, like the term hochkis, which, yes, it originally is from an English company. The meaning in English is stapler. However, that term was used, you know, in English hundreds of years ago, but is not used anymore. So that term is very outdated, and most people have no idea what hotchkiss is. <laughs> and in if you say Japanese hotchkiss, nobody will understand what you mean. And sometimes the words are just originally made for Japanese. So, for example, the word shapen for mechanical pencil would be one example of you know these terms that are just made up into Japanese, the language, you know, Japanese language from an English term or a couple of English terms put together. So anyway, you get the idea. So these are some examples of, you know, why katakana is bad for you to learn English. Well, but Al, um, isn't katakana helpful to learn new English words? Well, you know, that's, again, true to some extent. However, if you, if you choose to learn English through katakana, you will be learning words 
you know, from other languages, as we said, like Gerende is another example, which, again, cannot be understood by native English speakers. They have no idea what you mean if you say a word Gerende, which is like a ski slope or a ski hill, ski area. Um, in addition, your pronunciation will suffer greatly. You'll be using many words that don't make sense in English, and you'll be using outdated words that nobody knows or uses anymore. So again, we've done examples of those. So again, katakana is terrible for learning English, although I understand it is very necessary for daily Japanese. So you just need to separate those two. So if you're not Japanese, think of in your language, do you have the same thing? Do you have also borrowed words that you use in your language that may not you know, be understood in English or perhaps the pronunciation has been changed quite a bit? Think about that in your native language. Now, the fourth reason I think applies to most people out there. So this is what I call test mentality. Okay, so what does test mentality mean? Well, test mentality is how most of us learned foreign languages in school, high school, junior high school, wherever you started learning your foreign language, wherever you started learning English. In other words, we were studying English, or in my case, I was studying Japanese, for the single goal of passing a test. We were not taught how to communicate, but instead we were taught how to construct the language. In short, we learned how to make, but we did not learn how to use. So why is studying for tests so bad? Well, of course, there's nothing wrong with studying for a test, but for most of us, that is not our final goal. Okay? We want to be able to use English as a tool for international communication. Most of us have that particular goal, I think. We don't, you know, the end goal is not to pass exams, as I always say. It is more for most of you out there to meet new friends, okay? to be able to travel to more places, and to experience more things and communicate with more people from around the world. We're not learning English primarily to pass exams. Now, studying for exams creates two very dangerous mentalities, which are what I call one question, one answer, and the fear of making mistakes. So in English communication, one question usually has many possible answers. Therefore, the one question, one answer mentality is harmful to English communication. So let me give one example of that, one question, one answer. So it happens to be in Japanese that there's often, you know, one, if there, you know, somebody asks you a question, kind of like a greeting or something like that, there's usually a common response. And that's very normal to reply. However, in English, Usually there are many different responses. So a question, simple greeting like, how are you? Or how's it going? You know, typically could have several different replies. Oh, uh, not too bad. Oh, I'm pretty good. Um, I'm doing wonderful. So, you know, there there's many, many ways to answer. However, you know, people tend to get in the mentality of, oh, I'm fine. Thank you. And you, you know, it's one kind of response that you learn and that becomes very robotic and unnatural English. Now, the second thing, the fear of making mistakes also affects our confidence and limits our practice, which is also very harmful because you're not willing to speak out. But Al, studying grammar is so important, isn't it? 
Well, yes, of course, it's important to learn basic grammar and vocabulary, but it's important to realize that it's only the first step. Okay, there is still a big missing piece. And what is that missing piece? Well, for most of you, the missing piece is output. Okay, so remember, input is knowledge going into your brain, and remember that output is using that knowledge in a meaningful way. Okay, so. Over my years of teaching and learning foreign languages, I've come to the conclusion that a balance of input and output is extremely important in all activities. So, by cramming for an exam, for example, we are just entering information into our brains for the purpose of getting a good score. In other words, we were not trained how to use this knowledge for communication. Okay. So, how can we overcome the test mentality? Well, again, all of these are going to have similar. Uh, responses, but we'll save that for the end. Let's go to our fifth reason why Japanese people aren't good at English. So the final and fifth reason that I will mention here is, well, this is something we talk about quite often, so it's probably no surprise. But it is the lack of opportunity. All right, you've heard me talk about this over and over and over, especially recently. But we're going to talk about it again because it's so important. As I mentioned in the last post or the last reason, a huge setback to many students is the lack of output practice.、Yeah. Even though this is a critical factor for developing speaking skills, most students know that this may be due to lack of opportunity. Obviously, in Japan, you will find yourself surrounded by Japanese almost everywhere you go on a daily basis. Naturally. The more you are exposed to a language, the more your brain will think and process in that language. Therefore, you have to make a conscious effort to create English speaking opportunities to expose yourself to English more, become more comfortable with thinking in English, and get valuable output practice time. All right, so, well, Al, where can I find these opportunities to speak English in Japan? Well, the easiest way, frankly, is to pay for them. Okay, so you can take lessons at a conversation school, you can hire a private teacher.、Uh, you, these days, of course, there are online lessons like Skype lessons, things like that. However, for most people, this can be very costly, and often it is not enough time by itself to really make a significant change. Well, so what is the answer? Okay, so, well, the Other answer or reply is going to be, again, probably something that relates to all of these. But before we get into that, before we get into your action plan, let me ask you I forgot to ask with the last thing, with the test mentality, does that apply to you as well, even if you're not from Japan? I bet that applies to most of you from around the world because most of us are trained that way to pass tests. Okay, we're not taught how to communicate. And how about this lack of opportunity? I know this one affects everybody from around the world because this is the most common thing that I hear from students from all around the world, not only Japan.、Okay? So these last two in particular are very, very common, not limited to Japan. Probably I would say the shyness thing is not only limited to Japan, but it's not necessarily only you know, for Japanese students. And the katakana definitely is, is specifically for Japanese, but you know, the others are not only affecting 
students from Japan, but from all around the world. Okay, so Al, who've waited, how can we overcome these challenges and how can we become better at English? Again, there are specific things you can do to accomplish, you know, to attack all of these things. But again, it's all going to come down to something I've talked about a lot in over the past year or two and is highlighted in my book, English Fluency Power. But again, it's falling back to the power process. Okay, this is what I call the power process. It's three steps that you always want to make sure you're implementing in your daily routine regarding your English studies. Okay, so you want to be doing these three steps, study, practice, perform. Now, again, most of you are have done the study part, so I'm not going to go over that. But you want to be focusing more now, starting in 2022, if you haven't already, on the practice step. Okay, step two. So study, you're already doing the input. Now is the output step, which is practice. Okay, so you got to be able to have some time where you're practicing just speaking or writing. Those are the output skills. All right. Hopefully, mostly speaking, if that's your goal. Okay, there's many things you can do. And I've got separate videos and things on that, which you can do. But you want to be focusing on pronunciation, of course, as we talked about at the beginning. Really, you know, if you want to be understood, going for not, not perfectly native pronunciation, but, you know, get the flow, get the, you know, practice shadowing, get the general flow down, get the general intonations down. And you'll be able to understand more and you'll, your speaking will be more natural sounding. Okay, so definitely get that output practice, whether you're by yourself or with other people. Just make sure you put in the time, do that output practice. And then the third step, of course, is what I call perform. And that's when you take what you learned and use it in a real world situation. Okay, so you're you know, taking your knowledge, you're taking your practice, and you are going out into the real world, which is not a classroom or not with a teacher, but you're going out into a real situation and now using what you've learned. Okay, so that's the perform stage for the power process. And you want to be repeating this over and over and over. Study, practice, perform. Study, practice, perform. Okay, so keep doing it. Now, as a result, you know, when you start doing this process over and over, you're automatically breaking that test mentality. Because again, the test mentality really is only about the first step, which is the study step. Okay, that's all that the test mentality is doing for you. But when you implement step two, practice, and implement step three, perform, you are going beyond and you are automatically changing your mindset, breaking free from that test mentality, and in the process also breaking that shy personality or shyness quality that you have because you have to get out there and do it. That's the only way. It's the only way you can improve. The only way you can reach your goals is to get out there and do it. Okay, I've talked about this a lot on other episodes, so I'm not going to talk about it now. But just understand the basic steps here. Study, practice, reform. You implement these steps, you're going to be overcoming these five things that are holding a lot of you back, particularly from Japan, but not only from Japan. So we're going to wrap it up there with this episode of the English 2.0 podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the audio blog. You can check out the original posts. Uh, links will be in the show notes. Be sure to get the 25 hot idioms 
alsensei.com forward slash idioms. And I will appreciate you checking that out, getting that beautiful PDF for free delivered to your inbox right away. So that is it for today. Thank you so much for joining me on the English 2.0 podcast. It's been a really powerful episode as usual. So make sure that you are subscribed and always make sure that you level up your learning and level up your life. 